Hello everyone, welcome back to the Korea Gems podcast with me, Dr. Nuratu. Today I am having a very, very cool guest, someone I have been looking forward to have a conversation with, facilitator, a consultant who works with individuals, teams, organizations, and so many more individuals to explore spaces that allow the implicit to become the explicit. He's passionate about exploring the individual in a landscape to see how the space out interaction. I know you heard me say he, he is also the first male on the podcast. Yay. <laughs> he has over 20 years experience in human resources and leadership development spanning in public, private, non-profit sectors. He was a human resource director with Liberty Global Europe, a digital media company with responsibility for the UK, Netherlands, Spain, Central Europe. Prior to that, he was head of human resources at The Guardian News and Media Limited. He has held other human resources roles, financial, ombudsman, service, ITV, the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, Cabinet Office, the Government Legal Service, Previous clients include CBC, Economist, Philips, Welcome Trust, eHealth Africa, BuzzFeed, Superdrug, PwC, Wilmington University, and the NHS. Welcome to the Career Gems podcast, Ade Adeni. My goodness, <laughs> that was a lot there. <laughs> I know, but I had to read it all and say it all because I need whoever is listening to know that I am having such a very, very important person and your experience span different industries. And obviously you come with a wealth of knowledge that everyone would benefit from. I am so excited. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I feel overwhelmed just listening to this. Actually. I feel I feel intimidated by myself. By yourself. Possible. <laughs> I know. I always tell people that, I mean, toot your horn, bask in your achievements. It took you a lot to get to where you are. I mean, there's blood, sweat and tears to get to, to all this. So, I mean, I'm proud for you to have achieved all this and I'm very honored to have you here. Thank you. Thank you, Nova. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah. I mean, for me, I personally have benefited from a lot of your advice. Like, you're a very, very amazing coach. Um, I was fortunate enough to be part of the leadership team where you facilitated the daring way of um, the Brené Brown leadership program about you know exploring vulnerability in the workplace emotional intelligence those type of things and I'm I know a lot of people will benefit from that insight in different uh, ways I mean we're not going through a workshop right now it's a discussion but I know that we can tap I feel um, I feel excited I feel nervous and I feel a sense of anticipation (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all good things yes but yes all yeah <laughs> all, all good things <laughs> yeah. i mean it's normal to have all those feelings right exactly exactly yeah. and and that's a, a big passion of mine creating spaces where people feel they can bring whatever emotions it is that they're feeling mm-hmm. um, the high emotions the low emotions the comfortable emotions the uncomfortable emotions mm-hmm. i think a lot of us can get hooked on this idea of good emotions and bad emotions and I simply see them as all emotions and all welcome 
Um, they're all they're all part of being human. So speaking of emotion, I mean, it's been a buzzword that I've been floating around this past year. Emotional intelligence. What is? Yeah, it's been it's been around for many 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 years. I remember mm-hmm. reading um, the book by Daniel Goldman, mm-hmm. Emotional Intelligence, in the ooh when was it now? Somewhere in the nineties, mm-hmm. I think. And um, and at the time, a lot of people thought it was this fluffy thing um, that was not really fully welcome in the in the workplace it was something that people did um when they were doing yoga um, <laughs> but certainly not something that they would do in a in a board meeting um but when i think about it i think it's it's something that is relevant to all aspects of life so the model that i often use when it comes to emotional intelligence looks at the self and the relational mm. so in terms of the self it's about being self-aware of the emotions that we're feeling. So feeling it in our body. The reason it's called feelings is because we feel those sensations in our body. So feeling, you know, feeling, becoming aware of our feelings and then regulating those feelings. So just because I'm feeling hot and therefore angry does not mean that I need to act out my anger. So there is a feeling it, the self-awareness, knowing that I'm feeling it. And then there's the self-regulation how do I then manage it? How do I then manage it? Um, so that's the self part. And then the relationship part is being socially aware. So if I'm in a meeting, being socially aware of what's going on in that field and then managing myself through those relationships as well. So there's a relationship management. Yeah. So say, for instance, I'm in a meeting with six other people and I notice that there is one person who is not doing any talking. Um, what am I doing to bring that person in? That's part of the relationship management. Yeah, yeah. So rather than going, oh, I'm noticing that person is not speaking. I notice I feel sad about that. I feel... So the, the quote that comes to mind when I think of emotional intelligence is the one by Viktor Frankl, who's between the stimulus and the response, there is a space. And in that space lies our power to choose and in our power to choose lies our freedom yeah you know in our power to choose lies our growth Mm. so there is that stimulus there is our response and emotional intelligence is how we manage that Mm. space in between so i mean we talk a lot about relationship management as an external thing so the whole concept of emotional intelligence is that relationship you have with self and being aware of self and being able to regulate how you react to external circumstances by being conscious of self. It is, it's both because mm-hmm. we don't live in Asia. Yeah. We live in community. We live in relationship. Yeah. So it's about noticing what's going on within me mm. and noticing that in relationship to how I'm responding to what's going on externally as well. It's that dance. So right yeah. now, we're in conversation, I'm listening to you, you're listening to me, and how are we responding to each other? Mm. Are we dancing in the moment with each other, noticing what's going on within me? Oh, I hear that question, I feel excited, I feel sad, I feel vulnerable. How am I managing those um, those emotions within me? And then how am I sort of relating to you mm-hmm. as you're relating back to me? Yeah. So how would you say this shows itself 
in the workplace? I think it shows itself in the workplace because it shows itself in life. It's yeah. part of being human. It's part of being human. Mm. We don't go into work and leave at the door um, our, our emotional side. We mm. take it with us wherever we go. How can we bring it to work with us consciously? Mm. How can we be alert at work with it? So I'm not sure about you. When I first entered the world of work, there was this unspoken feeling that you left certain things at the door. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, don't yeah. that, we don't bring that into work. Yeah. Um, we put on the armor. Mm. We put on the armor. So when we go into work, we talk about the rational stuff, the logistical yeah. stuff. But we don't talk exactly the professional <laughs> stuff yeah. in, in quote marks. Yeah. Um, and in fact, people kind of talked about this kind of stuff like fluffy. Yeah. This is the fluffy stuff. We yeah. need to be doing the hard hitting stuff. So I think for me, when it comes to the world of work, there is something there around um, staying conscious of our emotions and mm. making sure that we are not bringing in like a caricature version of who, yeah. of who we are. So say one really has a very balanced emotional intelligence, right? Um, you feel as an individual, you have um, your, your behaviors in check at work. Mm-hmm. You know how to manage your stress, whatever it is you're going through. Not let it affect others in the workplace in a negative way while still respecting the fact that you're going through this. Mm-hmm. Then you deal with people in the workplace who have no emotional intelligence who are subconsciously provoking mm-hmm. your ability to control yourself, right? It okay. could show itself up in, in um, a very difficult co-worker or a very mean boss, right? Or you as a leader having a team testing mm-hmm. you, right? <laughs> Constantly. Yeah. How do you bring those learnings? right, if you're in a leadership position, ensure that your team is able to, to be emotionally intelligent. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I would say to start off is it's not a one-time journey. Yeah. Um, it's a journey that we take over and over again. We don't just go, okay, I've reached this destination. I no longer need to do any work mm-hmm. um, on, this, on this issue. So for myself, I'm certainly a work in progress. There's mm. some days where I fully am in contact with all aspects of who I am. And there's some days where something might activate me and I am off center, Mm. as as it were. What I will say in response to your question is, um, it's really around modeling, modeling it. So role modeling is so, so important. And I think I come across a number of leaders who talk about certain things so they talk a good game but they don't walk they don't walk that talk Mm. and I think that is really that is really the number one Mm. because people in our team in in teams are going to be looking at their leaders to see what behaviors are those leaders sort of um carrying out as they speak to people across the organization the role modeling is really really important and I think when it comes to managing these issues, I'll go back to that quote that I mentioned. Between the stimulus and the response, there is a space. Mm. And I think as leaders, it's about recognizing that something happens, we're activated. We have a choice in terms of how we respond to it. This is where mm. emotional intelligence comes in. So say, for instance, um, I am a leader in an organization 
I have a someone who is not performing at the level I would like them to perform within the organization. How am I approaching that person? Mm. How am I approaching that conversation? Am I going in from a place of blame, from a place of um, attacking, from a place of disrespecting? Or am I going in from a place of trying to understand um, why that person is not performing at that level that I would mm-hmm. like them to perform? Mm-hmm. Um, so it takes a lot, of, a lot of work. And I think that's probably one of the other reasons why some people move away from emotional intelligence, because it can be uncomfortable yeah. to have that conversation, can feel messy sometimes. But we need, we need to go into the cave and explore <laughs> what's in the cave. Yeah, That's where the treasure is. We need to go in and confront those, confront those dragons, especially when it comes to the relational aspect of all of this. So as human beings, we're wired for connection. We, we're not sort of equipped to live life in isolation. And that's not what the world of work is, is, is about. So I think leaning into discomfort and having conversations from a place of curiosity mm-hmm. is really, really important. Rather than going in with a space of, I already have the answer. Yeah. I would say to lead it, it's about getting to know the other, getting to know the other and staying conscious of when we are activated, mm. um, staying conscious of when we're triggered and approaching those triggers from a place of self-awareness and self-management. And it, it, it's, it's such a key component to maintaining productivity. I know it might seem like an unnecessary fluffy bit that, mm-hmm. that maybe, I mean, as long as the day-to-day act- flow the way they, they're flowing, it really isn't important to spend the time to, to study these things and apply them for interactions with people. But I personally know that there is a lot of benefit and impact on, on people who apply these things and how the team responds to, mm. to even task management when, when these things are applied. Uh, yeah. Because oftentimes we think, well, I get the results anyway, so why waste my time on these things? Yeah. But they yeah. are necessary. Right? Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I think a lot of things have changed since my parents were certainly in the world of work, where at the time it was all around the task. Yeah. Um, people didn't really care about, they didn't care about employee engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we're noticing with more people entering the workplace is, people actually do care. People actually want to feel that they enjoy their job. Yeah. That they enjoy their job, that they come to work, they're not having to abandon their authenticity, that they Mm -hmm. can bring their whole self to work. And one of the ways that I like to talk about this is bringing our head, our heart, and our hands to work. So bringing those three aspects, which is about the the whole human being. Yeah. So the head is the logical, the rational part of us. And mm-hmm. for a very, very long time, it's been normalized to bring that part of who we are to, to work. Yeah. The heart is around the emotional stuff, the mm-hmm. stuff that we've been talking around um, about. And then the hands is the doing, mm-hmm. the taking actions and, and fulfilling those actions. And I think for a very, very long time, people brought the head and the hands to work. Mm-hmm. And what we're saying now is, we also do need to bring in the heart. We just yeah. can't leave the heart at the door and just bring the, the doing and the thinking into the workplace. Those, yeah. those three aspects are so crucial, really, really important. Like, um, with the past year, 
the, the pandemic shifted a lot of people had to stay at home or work from home, people lost jobs. Uh, people are getting back to new jobs now that things are opening back up. And um, there was a lot of anxiety at it. And mm. I would assume that now employers would have different problems that they're dealing with mm. because there was also a huge economic impact on a lot of business sustainability mm. factor. So that uncertainty that people come to work with now has shifted the energy. Is that something that uh, you've paid attention to? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the word overcome is, is a very interesting one, overcoming the anxiety. Um, I think of it literally in terms of, it's almost like jumping over the anxiety uh, as, opposed to, <laughs> yeah. as opposed to moving through the anxiety. So that's, mm-hmm the first thing that, that, that comes to mind. Um, last year, there certainly was heightened anxiety for many, many people, mm. uh, myself included, because there was that uncertainty. Um, for some people who were parents, that was, when, when are the kids going to go back to school because mm. I've got work and I'm currently homeschooling? For some people who were freelancers, thinking what's going to happen in terms of income because all my clients are, are slowly disappearing, um, for some people who maybe had underlying health issues, um, there was anxiety around, what does this mean for me? Am yeah. I going to be able to navigate life in the way that I normally did? So there was a heightened uncertainty. There was a lot of fear. Um, there was, for some people, this sense of feeling unsafe. Yeah. And um, through the work of, of Dr. Brené Brown, I got introduced to... Um, Harriet Lerner, who's done some work around how people respond to anxiety. And she says there are these two patterned ways that we tend to respond to anxiety. One is some people go into underfunctioning mm. and some people go into overfunctioning. Mm. And the overfunctioning might sort of um, translate to um, micromanaging for some, for some people, trying to be controlling. Mm. trying to make sure that everything is in order. Um, For some people who go into the under-functioning, that might be a a state of putting the head in the sand, being very aloof, not being grounded, underperforming whilst at work. And so we go back to that quote um, and and emotional intelligence. So Mm. there is this stimulus. Something's happened Mm. that is activating something in me, how can I stay conscious of that in my response? Mm. So I think emotional intelligence plays a big part of this. If we think of the self, the self-awareness, something is going on here. I'm noticing my heart is beating faster, my shoulders are tight, you know, really noticing what's going on in the body. That is the the starting point because regardless of what's going on externally, that we always have our body. And so how can we start to use our body as a compass to go, ooh, actually, some, something's off here. And I think that, and that's why that word overcoming really struck me because it's almost like sometimes we want to negate what's going on in our body yeah. and to focus on that external thing. So I'm going to focus on the fact that all my clients have disappeared. I'm going to focus on the fact that my kids are disturbing me right now while I've got this meeting on Zoom and I'm still homeschooling. I'm going to Mm. focus on the external. So rather than 
something's off, something's going on within me. What does it mean? What meaning am I making from it? Mm. Okay, how can I recenter? Are we conscious of our center? That might be taking a few deep breaths. That might be about moving our body. But we need to align self in order to regulate what's going on externally as well, whichever way that looks like. And I think very often what most of us do, myself included, is we can just focus on that external thing, Mm. offload. We offload all these emotions Mm. rather than feeling through those emotions and moving through the anxiety. Now, this is not to say that it's easy. It is not easy at all. Otherwise, many (laughs) of us will many of us will be doing it. Because what yeah. happens is the rational part of the brain goes offline. The, what's known as the reptilian brain kicks in, mm-hmm. um, which is about the fight, the flight, the freeze. And those patent ways that I talked about, over-functioning, under-functioning, kind of live in that space. Mm-hmm. We're not really thinking. That stimulus has happened. We, we've closed the gap. You know, the stimulus and the response, there is a space we're not even seeing that space. We're just thinking, I need to take action now. Mm. I need to survive. I need to do this to survive. And so what we need to do is finding ways to bring back that rational, the cortex, find, finding ways to bring it back online so that we can start to respond. From a, We respond rather than react. Mm. There is that difference. Reacting is when we're not even thinking. There's a stimulus, there's a response, there is no space in between. When we are responding is where we go, ooh, something's off. What's off? What's going on here? And it would be great for more leaders to model that. Mm. And not just leaders, more parents, Mm. more caregivers, more mentors to model that so that people can go, oh, I really love the way this person is responding to that. What can I do to start to apply that in terms of my own life as well? Yeah. Yeah, and I think as leaders do that, that recognition that um, things have changed, that people are going through things, I think that's where uh, things like compassion and um, ability to, to offer that sense of understanding comes in. You know that people, mm. women are at home with their kids, so certain meetings, they, kids might interrupt and okay, because that fear of, oh, I don't want to seem unprofessional. My baby yeah. just ran through the <laughs> behind yeah. my meeting, right? So those are things that add the pressures or stresses to people. And then with with men who have this whole fear of being able to provide and and maybe hours are being cut from work. How how do you manage mm. that? How do you balance that? So there's a lot of compassion that also needs to be uh, given from leadership to employees for them to be able to find that center as well so that they can then relax because the anxiety yeah. comes from space of fear doesn't it yeah yeah definitely conversations are really really important conversations that come from a place of compassion and empathy mm. are really really important as a, as opposed to um ignoring what's going on um or um yeah, pretending like that's, yeah, that's not happening. Mm-hmm. So I remember, yeah, exactly. I did a piece of work um, with an organization last year and we were exploring vulnerability mm-hmm. in the workplace and we were exploring anxiety. And I remember in one of the sessions, one of the senior leaders got emotional and started crying. And um, 
there was someone in the team who really struggled seeing this leader cry oh. and had a, had a strong reaction to it. And in fact, the word that this person used was they found it traumatic to see their leader crying. And when we unpacked it, what was coming through was uh, this person and a few other colleagues said they didn't feel that they could cry because they had seen that leader be very strong through the lockdown. The leader had been the pillar. Yeah. And so when the leader started crying, they were like, what's going on here? This has never happened before. Mm -hmm. And so the leader said to them, don't you want to see me this way? Do you want me to be someone else? And they said, no, no, we, we've been feeling heavy and all sorts of emotions, but because we've never seen you cry, we didn't feel that we could also cry. A safe space. It wasn't, it didn't feel like a safe space. It, exactly. And so when they saw the leader get emotional and cry, they felt, oh, we can do this too. And so going back to that role modeling that I talked about. So people were feeling anxious. There was a pandemic. There was a mm. lockdown. And the leader was being very strong because this is what the leader felt the team needed. But the team was saying, actually, we're, breaking, we're going home and we're breaking down, but we're coming to work and we're having to be strong because we see you as strong. Yeah, yeah. So that role modeling is really, is really, really important, actually. Um, and giving, because by role modeling it, we give people permission to be themselves. Mm, and I the think that is, so, that is so crucial. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It re- it really. But, but the thing is, the thing is, we bring our histories into work. We bring <laughs> our old scars, our our traumas into work. So, yeah. what happened to us as children, as adolescents, we bring that into work. And I think we also need to recognize that yeah. it's all well and good me saying yes, role model and be self aware and mm. uh, self management. But many of us have these deep, deep wounds that we've never acknowledged. Mm. And one of the things that the the lockdown and pandemic created was it brought to light all these buried wounds that many people had not acknowledged. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so... We're forced to deal with them. Exactly. (laughs) we're We're forced to deal with them. And so many people were having to learn. How can I, how can I lean into vulnerability when I've grown up believing that vulnerability is weakness, mm. how can I lean into vulnerability when I've grown up believing that vulnerability was not for people like me? Mm. How can I lean into vulnerability when I think it's women who show vulnerability mm. and not men? So there are all these internal dialogues that many, many of us have been having. And so I'm a great believer in doing the inner work. Yeah. We need, in fact, I talk about the inner garden. We all have this inner garden that we need to pay attention to. Otherwise, that garden is going to be overrun by dead leaves and thorns and swamps and just really nasty. Imagine having a garden that you never tend to. You never look after that garden. Yeah. So we need to to be checking in constantly. What am I doing to nurture and tend to my inner garden? What What work do I need to do to cultivate that? Because if I'm not cultivating that inner garden... The, the dirt from that unkept garden is going to be leaking out into all my relationships, yeah. personally and professionally. Mm. Oh, that's, that's really insightful stuff there. <laughs> Let me give you an example, because this is something I came across, right? There was this individual who is an introvert, 
very shy, mm-hmm. doesn't really, the person has social anxiety, but yeah. they're very a top performer. They want to do more. They're very good at their job. And that social anxiety is kind of becoming a roadblock with them attaining leadership. And I know that that person wants to be that. They want to give it more respect. But because they're not seen yeah. as someone who is people first, they feel yeah. as though they might be excluded in the choices of uh, nominations or for leadership. Okay. How does social anxiety, how does one manage that and still be a productive leader? Because in this situation, the capacity to do so in terms of actual skill set is there, but the social mm-hmm. aspect mm-hmm. is what is holding the person back. So do you see, I mean, yeah. in, in all the workshops you've been having with people and companies, how, do, how much of a role does social anxiety play in making people lose out leadership? Um. Yeah, I mean, to start off, I would say that every situation is probably unique. Um, So in speaking about this individual, I just would like to point that out, that whatever I say would vary depending on the person. So if I was um, speaking to this person, I would want to find out more. Yeah. uh, Because how this person is responding and navigating their social anxiety might be very different from how someone else manages their social anxiety. I'd be very curious around um, what goes on internally for that person Mm. when they are noticing that anxiety comes up. So Mm. what's going on in their inner world? What are the stories that they're making up in their head around their behavior and their response to those social anxieties? I will also be curious as to what are the situations that activate it? What are the mm. situations that bring it alive? Um, because there will be some situations that don't bring it alive. Yeah. The fact that this person has got into where they've got into means that they've navigated it in some shape or form. So I'd be very curious what sort of situations activate those. So it's almost like they'll come up with an example and we track that example. Yeah, yeah. So, it might be a meeting with um, people who are more senior in the organization. Mm. It might be being in a meeting with someone who is of a particular race or ethnicity, Mm. um, someone who is of a particular gender. So just really trying to understand what are some of the situations that activate Mm. that state of being. So it goes back to that emotional intelligence model where we're looking at the self. Mm. So, what I would be doing if I was working with, with, with this person is really trying to get an understanding of self. How much do they know themselves? The emotions when it comes up, the stimulus when it comes up, trying to understand how they would respond to it, and then trying to understand their environment as well. Mm. Um, a classic example that, that often comes up is public speaking. Yes for, yes, for many people. Mm. For many people who are very confident, very capable in what they do in their, in their job, but tell them to give a presentation, their, their heart starts to beat faster, their mind might go completely blank. That anxiety 
might start to start to come up. So in those situations, again, I'd want to find out um, what is it that goes through their mind once that anxiety comes up. Mm. So for myself, it might be I'm not good enough. I'm going to fail. I don't know anything. I'm rubbish. I'm going to be judged. Mm. And then taking a breath and then reality checking those messages. Is this true? Mm. How do I know this is true? Am I really not good enough? Am I really incapable? So trying to get a trying to get that sense of perspective is really really important because what can happen in some situations and I've you know I've, in fact yesterday I was um, I take improvisation classes from time to time oh, and improv is improv like is an acting being thrown, um it's it is uh, yeah I mean some people could, could say it's acting but it's more like being thrown into a situation where you don't know what is going to happen. So the improv scene, one of the improv scenes we had yesterday was a TED talk. And the TED talk, um, the theme of the subject comes from people in the audience. So they suggest the theme. And then the person who was leading the session had these PowerPoint slides, which were very random. And we had to give a talk based on the theme that we got from the audience, based on the slides that we were getting. And we had no idea what was coming up in terms of the slide. So as an example, what was going on for me yesterday was I noticed my heart beating really, really fast. Even as I'm saying it now, I can feel my body <laughs> going into that tense, mm. tense state. So what was going through my mind was, I'm going to suck at this. I'm not going to be good at this. My perfectionist brain was coming in like I needed to be perfect. I need to show that I'm intelligent. And yet there was another part of me that was saying, you've got this. You've got this, go in, have fun, enjoy it. So the self-awareness, I noticed I was feeling anxious. The self-regulation, the self-management, that was the part of me that was saying, yeah, you got this, you're okay, you're going to enjoy, you're going to have fun. I was co-presenting this quote TED Talk with someone else. That's Mm. where the relationship management comes in. Mm. How am I going to be in relation to this person? Because I could just go oh, I'm really, really anxious. I'm really, really anxious. I'm really, I'm not, I'm just collapse. Mm. Or I could go into that over-functioning mm. and then talk about the person that I'm co-presenting with. So it, it starts, it starts with self. Ultimately, yeah. it comes back to self. Yeah. And that is really the key because with a person who has social anxiety, there can be a temptation to want to fix the ex external world so that there will be nothing that triggers that social anxiety there's nothing that activates that feeling for myself not good enough not feeling worthy but those things will always be there Mm. and so what I could potentially start to do is how can I start to become a little bit more aware of the things that activate that state of mind so that I can start to respond to it rather than react to it yeah try to start quieting because we all have that inner dialogue people call it different names we all have those limiting beliefs Mm. that voice that's constantly saying you're an imposter you're not good enough you're going to fail at this Mm. and i suspect with the example that you gave there might be all sorts of voices going on and so rejection exactly but i always i always come come back to self and what i would like to re-emphasize again i mentioned this earlier on is Mm. In talking about this, people might go, oh, this is so basic. It sounds so easy. Mm. It's not easy. Because otherwise, 
we would all be doing it. We would mm. all be doing it. And that was what I meant when I said, we all bring our stories, our old wounds to each situation, mm. to each situation. So if I'm feeling insecure as I was yesterday when I was in that improv class, it wasn't about the fact that we had to do this quote talk um, mm. and I didn't know what was coming up. It was to do with every other moment in my life where I've tried to do something and I've been told that was rubbish, that was not good enough. Mm. It was, it's all down to when I was back in school and people would write in my report card, could do better. Yeah. You know, all, those, all those voices come alive in the moment. But because I've been looking after my inner garden, I can go, oh, these are echoes from the past. It's got nothing to do with the here and now. Yeah, that, that's powerful insight into self, right? And, and, and then I know a lot of people will be like, then how do I learn to do that, right? Because everyone, like you said, has that garden that needs to be watered and everyone has those echoes of the past. Are there certain types or even journaling techniques or something that people should do or, you know, to be able to balance that out. Because like you said, it sounds easy to say, be more self-aware. If you know yourself, you'll be able yeah. to, to address certain situations. But there are people who are actively going through this social anxiety issues yeah. and, and really don't know where to start from. Yeah, yeah. There all, there's so, so many ways um, to navigate it. And I think... Each person has got to find the one that works for them. It's like going into a sweet shop and there are all sorts of sweets, all sorts of candies. Yeah. Um, it can be so tempted to go, I want everything, mm -hmm. but we might not really like everything. So we've got to maybe taste a few and then go, okay, that's the one for me. So for myself, um, journaling does work. Mm -hmm. And when I say journaling, I don't mean writing reams and reams and reams. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it might be I'm going into, into a situation and I just want to write on paper how I'm feeling. So I might, I might just want to put that in a dialogue onto a page. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling insecure. I'm feeling vulnerable. I'm feeling frightened. Sometimes I just put it on the page. That really helps me. Yeah. Um, another tool that I have, so, and in fact, I used this recently, where I had to um, give someone in an organization some feedback. They sent me an email that I considered rude, mm -hmm. and I wanted to let them know that actually that email was inappropriate. Mm. And so what I did was on a post-it note, I wrote what I wanted to model during yeah. that conversation. And so integrity mm. is what I wrote on a post-it post note in, in a, with a Sharpie. So it was really huge. <laughs> yeah. I, wrote in, I wrote integrity down yeah. and I, I posted it on my laptop. And so as we were talking, I kept on looking at that post-it note, integrity, integrity, because that's what I want to do. For some people, it might be mandala beads that they want yeah. to, to do, be in a particular way. So yesterday, when we were doing that talk that I mentioned, um, I wrote a permission slip, which was, I give myself permission to be imperfect. And I that wrote that on the post it and I have that next to me. That thing works. That's something that I learned from works. you guys. <laughs> and I've been applying it with my team. Exactly. It's just powerful. Exactly. So these are some ideas. I did a self-compassion course um, some years back. And one of the things they gave us, they gave us um, um, different sort of pebbles, like these, these stones. Yeah. Some, some, some were crystals and they were anchors, something we can hold 
to help us connect with our sense of self, mm. you know, coming back to center, coming back to our inner, inner garden. So there are different things that work for different people. Some, for some people, it might be therapy. Yeah. For some people, it might be movement. I do this from time to time. If I'm going into a, a session, I might just play a tune that I like. In fact, on Spotify, mm. I created a, um, a playlist, which is called Songs That Open My Heart. Oh. And so if I'm going into a situation, I just go through that playlist mm. and sometimes I have it on shuffle. And because I know these are all songs that I love and they open my heart, if it's on shuffle, it just plays any random yeah. tune from that. And then I move to it for a few moments and then I go into my session. So there are different ways, but ultimately what these ways are trying to do are trying to get us back to center mm. so that when that stimulus happens, we have enough space in between before we respond rather than something happens we're reacting mm. it's like oh i'm feeling really anxious because i'm going into this meeting or this situation oh let's pause that space so what i would say to people is yeah try 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 different ways some of the ways that i've mentioned some ways that maybe they do already and have your go-to. That's really important. It's always important mm -hmm. to have a go-to, one that you can also do really, really quickly. Yeah, yeah. So I always, I mean, right now, as, as we're talking, I've got a stack of post-it notes <laughs> yeah. in front of me. Yeah. And so for me, post-it notes really, really work because I can just write something on a post-it note, paste it down and look at it. And that's my anchor yeah. while I'm in dialogue with that person. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you'd be surprised that um, that, it is, that is the one thing that differentiates people who understand themselves and those who don't. It's mm. having the tools and techniques to be able to balance oneself. It's not mm. really something that's complicated, but it's something that needs to be learned. It, it, yeah. It's a learning and unconscious uh, behavior. And that is yeah. where a lot of people get lost. Because I, uh, as yeah. I mentioned, people come to me too with, with that kind of... Uh, these issues, right? Whether it's yeah. one in career coaching, how do I uh, transition to a new job? What is, you know, I, I'm, I'm not happy in my current job and all those things. And then yeah. I think about it, like, I'm not a therapist. I can't diagnose everything you're going through. But I yeah. also know that part of it is not being honest about yeah. who you are and really what it is that a lot of us can answer this ourselves but just yeah. that exercise of being able to pause and pay attention to what's happening in our inner self and know that we actually have the answer because what yeah. you're saying now is these different techniques that one can, can use to center themselves are the are just like comfort things at the end of the day it's you doing you you solving your own problem yeah, uh, yeah. like little anchors you do with the pebbles as a distraction so that you're not focused on negative you put all the negative energy in the beads or on the paper or wherever but then you clear your mind create space in your mind to be able to, to do the positive yeah sounds simple yeah. but it's not <laughs> yeah yeah um there's a poet that i i love and um yeah really really adore called mark nepo and he's got a book called The Endless Practice. 
And I really love the title of that book, The Endless Practice. And that's what this is, this journey towards getting to delve into ourselves is an endless practice. We don't get to a place where we go, okay, I listened to that song and it really helped me. I don't listen to, I don't need to listen to any other songs mm. anymore because I'm always going to be centered. Yes, I wrote that one permission slip to myself. I don't need to write another permission slip for the end of time mm. um, because that one is going to carry me through. It is an endless practice. Mm. So one of my questions very often is asking, what's your practice? What do you do? to come home to yourself? What do you do to help center yourself? Um, So how we start the day is, for some people, is is part of their practice. For myself, I know that I need to devote a chunk of time in the morning to recenter, to recalibrate, to realign. If I don't do it in the morning, for the rest of the day, I'm going to be off center and I need to find some time to do it. And so for each person, it's about, okay, asking that question, what do you do to stay centered? What do you do to stay aligned? Yeah, yeah. It could be meditation, prayer. It could be reading a passage. It could be, you know, taking a walk, anything but work. (laughs) Exactly, exactly, exactly. So, yeah. That is, that is ultimately the question. What's your practice? Mm. What's your practice? And this is not, it's got nothing to do with religion. Yeah. It's, it's what it's got to do with, it's getting to know yourself better. Mm. Yeah, I think, I mean, we've covered a, a lot. And uh, there's still so much more to discuss and explore, but um, I think I've tapped enough of your <laughs> creative juices and... <laughs> We have to save some for another time. But I really like the fact that every answer you have for every single question leads back to self-awareness. The key to addressing and being present in navigating the, mm. the, the, whether it's the workspace, personal space, relationship space, whatever space it is that brings you stress or anxiety, the ability mm. to find oneself and water one's garden. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And um, yeah, I think what I, what I'd just like to stay, say in closing is navigating this territory can bring up a lot of discomfort for many people. And there's a quote by the author researcher, Susan David, who wrote the book, Emotional Agility, where she says, Discomfort is the price of admission to a meaningful life. Mm. Discomfort is the price of admission to a meaningful life. And so what I will say to people as they navigate the endless practice is to lean into that discomfort because ultimately what it leads to is, is a meaningful life. Thank you so much, Ade, for being on Creative Podcast. This was so inspiring, beneficial. I have picked up so many gems from this conversation that will add to my list of gems that I've always taken from you. So I appreciate your time and uh, see you soon. So hopefully if if anyone wants to find Ade, he's on LinkedIn. His name is Ade Adeniji, A-D-E-N-I-J-I. He is very inspirational follow him on linkedin <laughs> thank you yeah and then you can find the podcast obviously in 
Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your podcast. Until next time, thank you very much. Bye. Thank you for having me.